KMTT, Kimitzion Tetzei Torah. You're listening to the Erev Shabbat program, Erev Shabbat Kodesh, Parashat Devarim Hey Av. The Erev Shabbat program is always Lilui Nishmat Shlomo Yosef and Chaim Shmuel. This week it will also be dedicated in memory of Harav Yehuda Mital Zecher Tzadik Livracha, the, founder, the founding Rosh Hashiva of Yeshivat HaRetzion, who passed away this past Friday. On that note, of these two individuals, Shlomo Yosef and Chaim Shmuel and Rav Yehuda Amital, I'd like to wish a Mazel Tov to my brother-in-law and uh, Yeshivat Haaretzion alumni, Dov and Chani Daniel, who brought their son, <coughs> Shlomo Yehuda Daniel, into a Brit Milah this past Tuesday. I'd like to dedicate, not only by name, but also as far as the content, the Arab Shabbat program, in memory of Rav Yehuda Amital, there, as I was preparing the reading of the Torah of Parshat Matot Masei, there's something that really stood out in the Parshat and really uh, focused me on a very significant, in my mind, part of Amital's education. And uh, I would like to share that with our listeners this Shabbat. Throughout the Chumash, Moshe and Aaron are seem to be the only leaders that stand in the forefront of Bnei Israel. In different contexts, we hear about other levels of leadership. In Parshat Yitro already, we hear about Moshe appointing judges, but they seem to have a very almost bureaucratic function. They're appointed to judge monetary monetary functions, perhaps something else. But their mention is limited to Parshat Yitro. They're not mentioned as taking any role in the leadership of the people beyond what's described in Parshat Yitro. The next time we come around, we come across a an attempt to expand the circle of leadership around Moshe, around Moshe and Aaron, is in Parshat Behalotcha. Parshat Behalotcha, Moshe complains that he can't possibly lead the people on his own, and therefore. God commands him, and Moshe fulfills this command to appoint 70 elders, Shivim Zekenim, to assist Moshe in leading the people. And this is done. However, when we read the subsequent parshiot, after the 70 elders are appointed, we don't see them in practice. We don't see them acting. We don't see them being referred to. And this, with this 
apparent omission, we could say, okay, but they were functioning, they were there, they were prominent, the Torah doesn't allude to them, because the leadership is still in, hand, in the hands of Moshe, but really the Shivim Zikinim are taking their part as well. What brings into the question, brings into question this theory that we just mentioned, is what subsequently happens it starts in Parashat Pinchas, but it becomes much more substantial and much more noticeable in Parshiot Matot Masei, is the actual mentioning of a new element within the leadership. It's important to note, before we look into these psukim, that from Parshat Ba'alotcha, when the 70 elders are appointed to Parshat Pinchas, as we've mentioned, we've crossed a generation. 38 or so years have passed, and we're looking at a new generation now, the generation that is going to go into Eretz Yisrael. When we reach Parshat Pinchas, we, we reach the story of the, the daughters of Tzlofchad, and they have a question, and they approach, Vadikravna benotzlovchad, Vataamodna lifnei Moshe, velifnei Elazar Kohen, velifnei Anesim v'chol ha'ida, petachol moed lemor. They stand up in front of Moshe, and in front of Elazar Kohen, and in front of the Nesim, the princes, the presidents, whatever we want to translate that, v'chol ha'ida, and the entire nation, petachol moed lemor. So they come with their question and they approach Moshe and Elazar and the Nesim and the entire nation. If we compare that to when the Tme'ei Nefesh, the people who are who are, had the Tumat Med, who couldn't bring Korban Pesach, approached to ask their question of how are they going to bring Korban Pesach, These people, they approach Moshe, in a similar language, they're approaching Moshe and Aaron. There's no other leadership mentioned there. Truth being told, this this portion is before the appointment of the 70 elders, or at least it's written before that. Whatever the issue is, here we see only Moshe and Aaron are approached. Here, when it comes to Benot Tzolchad, they're coming in front of Moshe, Elazar. Elazar is Aaron's replacement. And now the Nesim are mentioned. If this was an idle incident, I would give a local explanation as to why the story of Benot Tzolchad demands to be brought to the attention of the Nesim and the entire nation, because this is something that involves all of them, how we're going to divide up the land. However, this trend continues into Parshiot Matot Masai. Moshe speaks to the heads of the tribes, the Matot. And he gives them the whole parasha of Nidarim. Once again, we can look for an individual and specific explanation why the topic of Nidarim 
has to be brought to the attention of the Rashay Hamatot, which is very unusual. We don't see any parasha where Moshe describes the the laws to the heads of the of the tribe. And here, someone could again give a local explanation and say, well, the, the topic of Nidarim is something that Beitin has to annul uh, an Eder, and that's why it has to be brought to the attention of the heads of the tribe. But we go further. In the story of the war against Midian, when the people come back from the war, it's described that the leadership goes out to greet them. And Moshe and Elazar Kohen and the princes went out to greet them. We move on. The story of Bnei Gad and Bnei Ruven approaching to ask for the land on the eastern shores of the Jordan River. They come to Bnei Gad and Bnei Ruven. Bnei Gad and Bnei Ruven, pardon me, come to Moshe and Elazar Cohen and to the princes of the tribe. Moshe, when he commands what will be the result of Bnei Gad and Bnei Ruven, he says, "Vayitzav lahem Moshe et Elazar Cohen vet Yoshua binun vet Rashi avot hamatot livnei Israel." Moshe commands. Elazar Kohen, Yoshua Binun, and the heads of the fathers of the tribes. We continue into Parshat Masay. In Parshat Masay, the the names of the heads of the tribes are in fact mentioned, a list of one by one from each tribe. And finally, in the final story of Sefer Bemidbar, where the daughters of Tzlofchad are commanded to marry men from their own tribe, the the people of the tribe of Menashe approach. Who do they approach? They speak in front of Moshe and the Nesim or the heads of the father's households in Bnei Israel. So throughout, from beginning in Parshat Matot, and continuing into Parshat Mas'ei, a new part of the leadership gets a prominent role, because even if we could suspect that the 70 elders were prominent, there's no mention of it in the Torah. And we could overlook the, om- their om- the omission of the 70 elders being active in the beginning of Sefer Bemidbar until we see the end of Sefer Bemidbar and we see all of a sudden in Nesiyeh HaEidah, Rasheya Avot, Rasheya Matot, whether they're one group or more than one group, suddenly they have a prominent role. They're being mentioned in every, almost every interaction that takes place. Moshe is on the eve of his death and it's crucial at this point that the circle of leadership should grow, and not only theoretically, but in practice. Because Am Yisrael is going to continue existing without Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu is such a central figure, the person who gave Torah to Am Yisrael, 
the thought and the belief that Bnei Yisrael will not be able to continue without Moshe is so strong. And in fact, we know that in Chet HaEgel, Moshe not being there was what drove the people to demand the Egel from Aaron. Moshe, seeing this, perhaps as a looming crisis, perhaps as a basic educational need, realizes that it's time to show the people that he's not holding to all the cards by himself. There are other leaders out there. There are other people will be out there, not just Joshua, not just a one-man show. But there's Nesiyei Haida, there's Rashi Ha'avot, there's Rashi Ha'amatot. Again, whether they're one group or several groups, it doesn't make a difference. There's a larger circle of leadership. Rav Amital was a believer in empowering his students. He knew that the yeshiva experience for an individual Talmud and for the masses of Talmudim was a limited experience in life. A student can be in yeshiva for a year, for two years, for five years, for seven years, for ten years, and then they go out into the world. And when they go out into the world, they have to face life's challenges on their own. This is the way the world is supposed to be. It's not that if we could all just be on the phone with our rabbi constantly, that would be the ideal. But technically, Rav Amital can't speak to all his students on the phone constantly. We're meant to face the world on our own. Sure, we have questions here and there that we have to ask, but as a rule, we have to know how to face the world on our own. And Rav Amital believed in this educational philosophy of empowering not only leaders to go out there into the world, but to empower the average student who's going to go out there and not be a leader in his community necessarily, but he's going to be a human being who's going to function independently of the yeshiva. He's going to run his own life, his family's life. And that student needs to be empowered. That student has to be given tools to analyze life, to look at life, and to make decisions. Ramital did not want a student to be completely dependent on him and to not be able to move forward without him. Ramital wasn't planning for the day that he would pass away. Ramital was pa- was planning for the reality of every student going home for Shabbat, going home for Benazmanim, going to the army, leaving the yeshiva. A student who who leaves yeshiva has to be ready to face the world, has to be equipped in the best way possible to face the world. And the best way to equip him is to empower him, to make him independent. 
And in that sense, Ravamital is a tremendous leader. Because he didn't develop a relationship of dependence for his students that would be that would not know what to do when they left the yeshiva. And in that sense, he didn't leave his students dependent on him when he left this world. He left us tools, abilities, that we could continue on without him. It was with great sadness that I read the news about Rav Amital passing last week. But I'm strengthened by the fact that I think Rav Amital prepared his students throughout his life for this departure. Not necessarily for his death per se, but he always prepared his students for being on their own. That is a tremendous legacy that Rav Amital realized that all of his students must know how to continue without him throughout life. I said, I wrote this down, that I believe that if Rav Amital could address the thousands of people who attended his funeral, he would have given us a firm pat on the back and said to us, Chevre, don't cry. I've always prepared you for this moment. You know how to continue on your own. And that is a tremendous privilege for Rav Amital. Tiyanish Matot Surah Bitsurah Chaim. Shabbat Shalom.